Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Isaiah chapter 50 brings us the third servant song about Jesus. Thus says Yahweh, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord Yahweh has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord Yahweh has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord Yahweh helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord Yahweh helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears Yahweh and obeys the voice of his servant? But him who walks in darkness and has no light, trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, Walk by the light of your fire, and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. This is the word of the Lord. The servant song doesn't begin immediately with the start of the chapter, and it doesn't last the whole chapter either. Uh, it's roughly verses 4 through 9 that you would be talking about as the servant song. So we begin first, then, with God's reminder of of the judgment of the reason why this is all happening in the first place and it starts with that weird image many people might consider it weird it's normal in scripture though uh, of a certificate of divorce in verse one it is frequently depicted that our rebellion against god our sinful uh, acts against the lord frequently are depicted in scripture as committing adultery, that he is our husband, we the church are his bride, we use this language in the New Testament that it is Christ and we are the bride of the church, and that we have, by chasing after idols and our own selves, we have committed adultery against the Lord, we have been unfaithful to him, I mean, we use that language, unfaithful, and rightly so, and it, it gets applied then into the marriage concepts today, as you think of faithfulness and unfaithfulness in marriage. So that's the picture that we're being given here. And so Yahweh has given Israel a certificate of divorce. 
This is a little different than what we think of divorce today. So the certificate of divorce is the only picture you get really with divorce in the Bible. And it's a basically it's a document that you would hand to your wife and it's you're sending her away. It doesn't sever the marriage according to scripture. It just removes her from your house. And what we're going to see throughout this chapter then is the goal of that that act. The goal of the act of divorce is is not a permanent removal of of the bride from the home. It's the reconciliation of the family. We see this really with excommunication when we talk about church discipline in in our context today. The goal of the church when they send someone away, when they excommunicate a person from their, their the fellowship, it's not hate, it's not anger, it's done out of love. The church took, you know, so many steps trying to get the person to see their <clears throat> excuse me, see their sin and repent of it. But again and again, they were refusing to repent. They were living in their sin. And so eventually the church removes them, bars them from receiving the Lord's Supper in hopes that that absence will bring about repentance. And when it does, if it does, uh, they are welcomed back with open arms. And that's the picture we have of divorce in Scripture is the same. There is no permanent severing of the relationship. Only death does that, according to Scripture. But instead, the hope of reconciliation with repentance. And that's exactly what we're seeing here in this chapter. So God has sent her away into exile, again, in hopes that she will repent. For your iniquities you were sold. For your transgressions. Uh, whether it's mother or or child here, it's a reference to Israel. So the, the people that have come before, the people that are living present, those are the references of mother and, and self at that point. Verse 2, God came when he visited his people. I, you can take this one in one of two different directions. Either when he came to visit his people, there was no man found who had faith, there was no man found there who could answer to him rightly. Um, I think the other way you can go with this, though, is when God came to visit his people in Jerusalem, there was no one left in Jerusalem because they had been deserted already into exile. So a little flexibility there. I'm not sure which way we really should go. I would lean towards the second, the exile reference already having shown up in verse 1. Either way, verse 2 then goes into the idea of God's redemption. He basically asks, is my hand broken? Has it been withered that it cannot redeem? Does God have the power to deliver or not? And so he points them. He points them to what he has done before. That he dried up the Red Sea. That he turned the Jordan River into a desert so that it could be crossed. When either of those things happened, some fish died. Verse 3, when did God clothe the heavens with blackness? That's an interesting one. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of a good Old Testament reference for that, although there would be one in connection with God is saying it here already. But if you're thinking of your New Testament, 
the reference to Christ on the cross, the three hours of darkness, is certainly vividly here for us. And it connects then with making sackcloth their covering. So you make sackcloth, you wear sackcloth in the time of mourning when you're grieving something. And so this this calls us Christians to to the point of the cross where we would be grieving the death of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 is where the servant song part actually begins. The Lord Yahweh has given to me, that is to Jesus, the tongue of those who are taught. So he's a teacher. He has a teachable tongue. He has a, a tongue that can teach. Probably the right way to say that. So that he can sustain with a word him who is weary. So before I jump into my thoughts on that one, how about you ask your family, what word does Jesus speak that sustains you? That's a great question, and it can be quite a bit that you talk about. You could simply speak of God's word, which encourages you, um, the, the proclaimed word that you get to hear in church that gives you the, the strength for the, the days to come. You could talk about Certainly the, the gift of forgiveness that the Lord provides to you in absolution and in the Lord's Supper. All these kinds of things, these are sustaining to us, and it's a beautiful thing. My mind also jumps to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where we learn that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. If he can uphold the universe by his word, he can certainly uphold me. Jesus, verse 4 still, listens to the Father and then speaks for him. So he, he takes in what God has to say and he tells us. Verse 5, God, Son, Jesus, committed no wrong. He was not rebellious. He did not turn away from the task that God had given to him to do. Instead, he gave his back to those who strike. Ask your children it. If they can figure out where verse 6 might be pointing us to. It's again, Holy Week, Good Friday. Uh, so those who strike, Matthew 27, verse 26, as Pilate sends Jesus to be flogged or scourged. Um, you think of the pulling out of the beard. That's a public display of shame. And the cross was a much more vivid public display of shame that Jesus would endure. He did not hide his face as they disgraced him and spit on him. That's Matthew chapter 26, verse 67, that you can look to to see the spitting in the face of Christ. So certainly these things we see, uh, Isaiah prophesying of them long before they ever happened, so a good 700 years prior. Verse 7, Jesus has set his face like a flint. We learn that he has set his face towards the city of Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 53, um, as he basically resolutely determined he was going to go there, and there was nothing that was going to stop that from happening, as he went there to forgive us. In this particular instance, we might even say with this prophecy that instead of setting his face toward Jerusalem, this is a reference to him setting his face toward the Father, just like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he endured the shame and the pain and the suffering on our behalf that he continued to keep his gaze on his heavenly father who strengthened him. 
And ultimately, Jesus was not put to shame. With verse 8, uh, just as God has spoken in previous chapters that no one, no false idol, could challenge his divinity and stand up alongside of him, so now none of us can challenge the Christ. We cannot challenge this servant who will come and who will suffer. We cannot contend with him. We cannot stand beside him in that. But because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his love for us, we will get to stand beside him as his children or as his bride, whatever imagery you wish to use um, in the years to come. Verse 9, Yahweh helps his servant. Yahweh helps Jesus. Because of this, who can declare him guilty? This verse maybe um, can do some double duty for us. Not just talking about Jesus, but apply it to yourself. Yahweh helps you. And because Yahweh has helped you, who can declare you guilty? The devil will try. It is his trick. It is what he does. He tries to instill doubt in you whenever and however he can. He tries to hold your sin above your head and say, How can God possibly forgive you for this? No one could love you after you've done this. And yet that is precisely what God has done in and through the death of his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. God died for you. All of your sins, no matter what they are, no matter how bad they may seem, they are forgiven in the blood of Jesus Christ. The devil has lost his power. He has lost his hold over you. You are God's child, his own dear, precious child. He has bought you back. That's the picture again, the certificate of divorce in the beginning of the chapter. We were sent away that we might repent. Well, God is restoring. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price. To overcome our sins. That we might be one again. And those who would attempt to contend and be adversaries and declare us guilty in verses 8 and 9 against the Christ or against his bride, they will wear out like a garment. And you know the meaning of that. A nice garment might last you 20, 30 years, but eventually it wears out. It'll be gone, destroyed. So it will be with the enemies of the Lord and the day of judgment. Verse 10 is a call for repentance. It's a call for faith, um, that we would obey the voice of his servant Jesus, that we would walk in the light and not in the darkness. Very common theme of scripture right there. The light is a reference to the ways of the Lord. Darkness is a, a reference to the ways of our own sin. That we would trust in Yahweh, that we'd, we would rely on him in all things. Verse 11, then, is the do-it-yourself faith. Um, we live in a generation of do-it-yourselfers, DIY weekend, um, and this is a do-it-yourself faith reference right here. Walk by the light of your fire, the torches you have kindled. So instead of trusting in God to provide the light for you, instead of trusting in God's ways, you've made your own. And the result is that you will lie down in torment. So if you try to trust in your own faith, you will be destroyed. By your own doing, 
you have not repented. But verse 10, if you have repented, then you get to join in with the rest of the church in that wonderful phrase of verse 9, saying, who will declare me guilty? Because you have the forgiveness of God himself.